What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Milwaukee Sports Performance Podcast, where we talk about all things related to athletic performance, rehabilitation, and wellness. My name is Michael Falk, and today I am joined on the podcast by Brian Keller. Brian is a professional pitcher that has pitched for both the Yankees and the Red Sox organizations before now going overseas to pitch in the highest level of professional baseball in Japan next season, which is very exciting. I'm super excited about this episode. Brian is one of the uh, hardest working, smartest baseball players that I've ever talked to. He knows a ton about uh, pitch design, spin rates, looking at advanced analytics of pitches, his own mechanics. Uh, he takes his training very seriously and he really understands the whys behind, behind what he does to prepare his body for a season. Um, and he shares some of his best tips of what he would have done differently as a high school baseball player looking backwards uh, at his career to help his development. So if you are involved in the baseball world at all, this is a super good episode. Uh, we definitely get into the nitty gritty of some of the pitch analytics initially, but we cover a lot of ground that is going to apply to anyone that's looking to improve at baseball. What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode. I'm joined by Brian Keller, who is one of the professional pitchers that we've supported in the past that has pitched for both the Yankees organization and the Red Sox organization, and then now has recently just signed um, over in Japan, which is super exciting for next year. So, Brian, welcome uh, welcome to the show. Excited to dive into some baseball stuff today. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So, I always like to start with background, like people don't know you, and I kind of call it, everyone's got a baseball story for the most part. So, how how did you kind of get from high school baseball player with dreams of being uh, being able to do this as a career to where you are now yeah so uh high school i played um you know i pitched played shortstop played a little bit outfield uh was an okay hitter um but kind of i also played basketball too so i wasn't like solely focused on baseball but um yeah i, I just kind of realized that i was better at baseball than i was at basketball so i started to like try a little bit harder at that, focus a little more time. And, uh, yeah, I did, I did more pitching than anything else and tried to gain some velocity in high school. Wasn't the hardest thrower, but I was really good at throwing strikes. I could throw multiple pitches. And I think that was, I, I might've been touching like 86 or 87. Yeah. So it's a high time, school kid. Yeah. Yes. At times like it was good, but probably not all the time, but, uh, it was just good enough to give me a scholarship. Um, or I should say an offer, partial scholarship at uh, UW-Milwaukee. So, um, yeah, that was that was the first step. Um, and then from there, it was kind of like, uh, you know, I was seeing some older college players who had been around and who had um, made some big gains over their, over their four years there and talking to the coaches there, uh, Scotty and Biggs, they kind of said, look, like, where you're at right now is you're gonna you can be a really good pop college player, but you just gotta you gotta throw harder. And uh, took a few years, but over the course of those four years, that's that was my main goal, and I dedicated myself to learning, you know, all the all the ins and outs of mechanics and mobility, strength, conditioning, all that stuff to try and give myself an edge, and eventually it paid off. So yeah, when you. Um you, we've seen a couple other UWM players and like what they're like oh you know Brian Keller and this is my favorite story but I want to know if it's actually true so would you really go around 
eating tablespoons of olive oil to help gain weight. Because uh, that's the that's yes. like the myth at UWM. <laughs> yes, that's exactly what I did actually. So I think a tablespoon of olive oil is something like 100 calories or something like that. So a couple in the morning, a couple at night, that's a, an extra whatever 400 calories. You add that up over the week, that's close to, that's what, 30, I don't know exactly, 3,000-ish calories over the course of the week. That's uh, a good way to gain weight. <laughs> Maybe not the uh, the most uh, the best for muscle specifically, yeah. but weight nonetheless. Yeah. And that's that's important. Probably I mean, better than raw eggs, you know, like yeah, yeah, <laughs> the rocky sure. shake. Yeah, yeah. No, but I mean, I think that's such a good lesson for kids because we we just always hear, I mean, kids that like they want something, but then once they actually learn what it takes to do that. I mean, you can want it, but you have to be willing to commit to it. And I think that's what I love about your story and following you through development-wise. So get up there uh, in at UWM, end up getting drafted 37th, 39th, 39th round yeah. by the that Yankees. Yeah. Um, and then go down to your first spring training. And you actually had like a pretty fast climb through there minor league system your first few years right yeah so when i first got drafted and i i got you know sent down to tampa where all the new draftees go and throw a couple bullpens and you're meeting all the guys and you're meeting all the coaches and nobody knows my name <laughs> everybody knows you know the first through 10th rounders names nobody knows the 39th round pick nobody knows what uw milwaukee is like um, yeah, that was, that was kind of eye opening, but ultimately it didn't really matter. Like once they, once I guess I proved that I could compete at yeah. those levels and, I uh, you know, perform pretty well, it just like, you know, it, it was an obstacle to definitely like jump ahead of some of those higher round picks. But if you can perform, you can perform and then they see that. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think. Um, it's always what we keep preaching to kids is just like it, development doesn't stop. Like it's not, oh, you hit your, I mean, hopefully you don't hit your peak in right. high school. Right. Hopefully you don't hit your peak in college. And then if you do continue to play your first three, four five years, really, you can keep getting better. I do think there gets to be a time in your career where it's like, all right, this is, and you're, you're probably getting there now where you're like, this is probably physically as good as I can get. Yeah. Right now I can be smarter, I can pitch better, I can learn different things, but it's about how, how long can I maintain this? Right. But, I mean, you've been a pro now for five, six years? Uh, seven. Seven years? Yeah. yeah. Seven, yeah. So it's like all the way through yeah. that first, I mean, I think every year that I've known you, you've like ticked up a little bit in velocity, mm -hmm. you've learned a lot more about pitching and mechanics, and like development is is never ending, it continues to, to go. Yeah, and uh, going off of that, I'm a completely different pitcher uh, now than I was when I first got drafted. Like I didn't know much about other than, you know, mixing pitches and, you know, mixing locations. I didn't know much about the ins and outs of, um, pitch metrics and what makes a pitch actually perform well versus, you know, different kinds of hitters, that sort of thing. So, um, over the years I've learned a lot, uh, about that and tweaked some things and ultimately made me into the pitcher I am today. And, yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's awesome. And it kind of sets me up perfectly because I think out of, you know, I mean, every time we, you and I talk pitching, I learn something. I think you really study mechanics and know your own mechanics, know your own body really well. 
And now these last several years, you've really learned a ton about analytics and pitch data and things like that. So um, I am certain I'm going to learn a lot today, but let's just talk pitching development as a whole, um, really maybe specifically at, since you've been uh, in pro baseball, what do you see, how, like, how do you see a pitcher need to develop? Is it mechanics? Is it understanding? Is it just trying to throw harder? What's, what, what's like the development process that someone needs to go through? Yeah. So I think first and foremost, you need to identify where you're at. What are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? Um, as far as pitch makeup, like, are you a, a four seam guy with a lot of vertical break? Are you a two seam guy? Cause maybe you cut the ball a little bit, or if you're not one of those, maybe choosing one of those and then kind of going from there. And then, you know, depending on what your velocity, your body type is, um, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of factors that go into being a really good pitcher. One of them being velocity, one of them being the ability to land strikes with off speed. And then one of them being quality of off speed and pitches in general. So yeah, there's a lot, a lot of stuff that you can develop over the years. Yeah. Um, when you start looking at, I mean, we can talk the specifics of the analytics and stuff, but how, I mean, there's no, there's no one right way to throw baseball. I mean, obviously you can look around the major leagues, but like that's, everyone wants quote unquote, perfect mechanics. So how have you approached, like you said, you, you're not the same pitcher that you were. How have you approached mechanical changes? Like when do you decide to make a change versus when do you decide to like, Hey, this is who I am. I'm not going to try to be somebody else. Yeah. I think that's, uh, that's the hard part. That's, uh, I've always gotten roped into trying to change things because of the way it looked, maybe not because of the way it actually influenced my body movements and ultimately pitches and velocity. Um, so I think understanding a lot of that stuff is good. Um, but also understanding what's going to make impactful changes is definitely more important. So if you're spending, you know, however many hours a day trying to get, you know, a little bit more, uh, whatever, pick it, pick something, hip rotation or something, um, where you're chasing a 1% change where maybe a lower hanging fruit would be, um, just adding a little bit more supination to your curveball or something like that. And you can spend your time a lot more effectively if you kind of choose and, uh, you know, pick the right thing to work on at the right time. Yeah. And you get most of that now, now that you have access to more like the advanced data and analytics and stuff, is that where you're, you've gone from just using visual stuff to like looking at the feedback of the ball to help you make some of those decisions? Or? Yeah. So when I was learning how to throw hard, you know, you watch guys like, uh, you know, the hard throwers you watch back then it was Billy Wagner. It was, or Chapman was just coming into the league, um, you know, those kind of guys, and you try and see, you compare where you're at against those guys, but then you also have to compare um, your body type to them to determine, and, you know, your athletic abilities to, like, um, I'm never going to move like Chapman, or I'm never going to be able to sprint and lift like Chapman, (laughs) so maybe that's not the best guy for me to copy, so maybe I can take something else from him, I don't know, whatever it, it might be, but, yeah, so... Um, but then as far as like, uh, working on your pitches, like there's, there's a, obviously a lot more technology out there now than there was 
uh, five, ten years ago, you got Trackman, you got Rapsodo, or at least they're they're used a lot more frequently. So if you just spend some time learning some of those metrics, like I, I've gotten the privilege of doing, um, it, it gives you like almost like confirmation of, you know, you can see if a pitch is sharp or not, but then you go to the technology and you can see like, okay, yeah, this confirms that that's a really good pitch. I'm going to try and do that one more frequently or, you know, but ultimately at the end of the day, you can't rely on that data as much as you can rely on did that pitch successfully get the hitter out right at the end of the day so you can get caught up in all this stuff mechanics pitch metrics velocity all that stuff at the end of the day you got to be able to get the hitters out with what you got yeah um and on any given day and and under pressure i mean i think that's where it's like great to be able to throw it to no catch or you know no catcher and and that's the other thing like if you can throw a nasty slider one out of 10 times, that's useless. You got to be able to do it 10 out of 10 times. Maybe if it's not quite as nasty, but it's still like a really good pitch, you got to be able to do it 10 out of 10 times. Yeah. You know? I know. I think that's something that um, we see a lot with high school kids now. Like, you know, they all know their PBR numbers mm-hmm. and their spin rate and their fastest fastball velocity ever. But it's like, well, what's your, it's like average. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I know that's your best, but like, that's, You've been to how many PBR events or how many pitches? That's like one. But if we just took what was your average across those thousand pitches that you that yeah. you've thrown there? Yeah, because it's not going to be as good as you think it is. Yeah, I can assure you that. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's really interesting. So, and I mean, I think it's fascinating, like because people don't understand how like you have made a lot of mechanical changes, but it's not easy. I mean, and I used to watch you. Um, I mean, when I was, I'm not at the office that you train at anymore as much, but when I was there every day, I mean, you're there five, six hours. And at times, if you're really trying to make a change, you might be doing the same little drill, maybe not even throwing a ball, but like working on your footwork or the patterning of how you're stepping for hours, like every day. Yeah, it takes a lot of reps to change what you already do and sometimes you spend all that time and you still don't make (laughs) that impactful change but that's that's honestly what it takes and um yeah finding finding little ways to um influence changes too like uh instead of just sitting on your phone in between sets maybe try and uh in the weight room i'm talking about like maybe do your do your lift and then do a couple of these field drills where you're working on what needs to be changed and it adds up over time yeah and that's what you need yeah and that's what i i just think it's such a good point like when you want to make a mechanical change it's not it's not a flipping decision like it's a mm-hmm. big decision that's going to take a lot of commitment like yeah. kind of back to just like when you want to gain weight like okay you need to do these things if you want to make a mechanical change like you're committing to hours and hours of practice and potentially getting worse initially before it kicks in. Yeah. So that one one thing that I struggled with early on, especially in college, um, you know, when I was first learning about these mechanics and stuff and trying to implement them, I would try and do it at full speed and it's nearly impossible to do anything full speed um, and do it differently than how your body already does it. So, um, you know, you can't be thinking about, it just doesn't like your brain doesn't work that way. You can't be thinking about moving your limbs in a certain manner while you're moving as fast as you can. So 
starting slow um, and then building up into it, blending it into a higher speed movement is probably the better way to do it. And I think I've gotten better at um, taking that approach and, uh, you know, it it takes a lot of time, but you get there eventually. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, okay, so let's dive into the analytics a little bit more and some of the advanced pitch data. And this is totally getting outside my wheelhouse. So um, if this is a bad way to phrase the question. Feel, please feel free to uh, okay. to do it uh, to answer it in whatever way you think will help other pitchers. But how? I mean, you worked a lot to understand it, and I know you've had access at the Rapsodo and the Trackman. But how how has your understanding of that data changed how you? view or evaluate your performance um, or like what have you kind of learned by incorporating that into your routine? Yeah. So um, one thing when I first got drafted and then, you know, started at those lower levels, um, a lot of the coaches would tell me, throw your four seam more, throw your fastball. Um, and I was like, you know, why it's only like 90 miles an hour. Whereas the rest of these guys are throwing 95 plus. Um, and they're like, well, it grades out really well. Like the metrics on it are really, really good. So I, I took that advice and I threw it more often. You know, it was 90 miles an hour on average, touching 93 at times. And um, that, that's a good example of a pitch doesn't have to be, um, it doesn't have to jump out at you on, a, on the page to be able to be an effective pitch. But at the same time, understanding when something is good uh using it using it more frequently and it might not be good in the way that you think it is so for example my my four seam is not good um in regarding velocity like it's at the lower end of velocity but it makes up for that in um the angle of my release and the approach angle and um induced vertical break and things like that which all culminate into you know, plus pitch, regardless of the velocity. Yeah, that's really interesting. So if you're, so I think now we're seeing more and more high school kids have access to Rapsodo, at least some, some kids are having access to TrackMan, but then once they get into college, I think most of these kids are, are being able to throw on this. And I don't know that they all really fully understand what they're looking at yet. Like, I think they can see the velocity. I think they can see how much it spins Mm-hmm. But what else, if you were, if you were talking to somebody that's just kind of getting started in this, what advice would you give them? Yeah. So, um, actually just, I was talking to Connor Fisk earlier. We were he, both of both, sorry, both of us through bullpens today and we yep. had the track man going. Um, and spin rate doesn't really matter that much. <laughs> spin rate is, um, I would call it the icing on the cake. If you have uh, a high spin rate on a certain pitch, um, it might increase the movement an inch or two. I don't know exactly, but what impacts movement and pitch quality more is spin efficiency and um, spin direction. So, you know, the tilt on the ball, the angle that the ball is actually spinning at, those two things. And then, you know, this is a little bit more advanced, but the orientation, orientation of the seams on pitches like a two-seam fastball, it's, the seams are actually the ones doing most of the, um, or providing most of the movement based on how it cuts through the air. Um, so there's there's a lot of other things that matter more than 
spin rate for sure. And you want to start with those things like efficiency and um, spin axis first. Yeah. Are there good resources that you've used? I mean, when people ask us, I anecdotally am always like, go talk to Ben or Brian because they, if you can get them to sit around with you for a little while, but obviously you had to learn this from someone um, outside of, you know, just coaches. I know you do a lot of studying on your own. Are there kids that are like really interested in this? Is there a process that you went through to learn more about this? Yeah. So the way I learned is, um, as, as a starter in the minor leagues and in college, you do a lot of charting pitches for those of you who are starters out there. You understand exactly what I'm (laughs) talking about and how many hours you've spent charting your teammates. And, um, at the, at the higher levels, especially in professional baseball, we had access to, and, you know, more recently as technology became a little more prevalent, um, we had access to the TrackMan data rather than sitting in the stands. We would actually sit in the video room and we would have the TrackMan on one TV and then the, uh, you know, the game feed on the other. And you would get to see the pitch, what it looked like exactly, and then you got to see the numbers. And you do that over and over and over again, looking at the two, and you kind of get an idea for what pitches looked like and then what the numbers showed. And then you play catch with a guy that you know what their numbers are like, and then you catch it for yourself, and you kind of, you, you know, you learn that way. You, you cross-reference what you see with the numbers, with what you see, you know, on TV, and then what you actually see when you're catching them. And uh, then, you know, going a little deeper than that is asking them what they're trying to do with that pitch. What do they feel? Like, how are they holding it? And you get an idea of what guys are doing, what they think they're doing, which is not always what they're doing. <laughs> Actually, more frequently, that's definitely yeah, not what the they're doing. The feel is not real. Yeah, exactly. So it over the course of, like I said, six, seven years that I've been playing, that, that's how I learned. Yeah. I, I think that's fascinating. And, and I mean, everything, I mean, I, I love your development story. We, we tell it to all kinds of high school kids that we see and that are trying to get back for this one event and it's like you know i love guys like you like ben that have just consistently gotten better and and there's no shortcuts it's like yeah it takes hard work and it takes effort on your part and it takes reaching out to people and talking to people Uh, i mean there were some fascinating conversations when the five or six of you guys were sitting around after workouts and talking about how you finger different pitches Mm -hmm. and um there's no right way um, and you've got to find what fits your hand shape and your release pattern and you can't just copy somebody else you have to be able to develop it and find out what works for you yeah that's exactly right well let's shift away from if we've bored anyone with a a deep dive into pitching analytics Um, I want to talk about the gym a little bit because you know a lot about training Um, you've gotten very knowledgeable about it and take your training very seriously. So what have you learned over the course of your career about how the weight room supports your pitching and how you need to prepare your body for kind of a season? Yeah. So I think I would say the weight room is very important. Getting stronger is better to an extent. Once you're strong enough, um, you might be chasing, you know, you might be, once you get to, let's just put out some numbers. You can bench 225, um, getting to 250 on bench is likely not going to impact your performance because benching 225 is already, you know, pretty strong. So, yeah. um, and then you shift to something else that you suck at and get better in that area. Yeah. 
and the accumulation of all the all these improvements ultimately uh, gets you closer to where you want to be. Yeah, no, I think that that's my that's what we always talk to people about is I think too often it's easy to focus on developing the development in the weight room, which is important. And there's let's let's just say like when you were in high school, you were not strong enough. Right. Like I'm gonna. On average, there's going to be some exceptions and some freaks, but on average, if you're a high school pitcher, you need to just generally get stronger. Yeah. It kind of starts to, I don't know, somewhere in college, probably you start getting to the point where you at least have to start asking the question of like going from a 405 pound deadlift to a 425 pound deadlift. Mm-hmm. Does that, am I a better pitcher at the end of that? Um, and the answer sometimes gets a little squishier at yeah. that point. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, so for me, like you said, I was not strong enough. I was not even close to where I needed to be. So for my first few off-seasons, um, well, in college too, college I was just trying to get bigger, gain weight, get stronger, and then that continued through my first few seasons of pro ball. And I finally got to a point where I was like, you know, I'm, I'm six foot three, so I got to a point where I was 215 and – I'm not a I'm not a stocky build. I'm I'm a lanky six three. So two fifteen was big for me, and that was kind of the point where I was strong enough. And actually, now I'm not. I'm like two oh five now because I realized I don't need all that extra weight. I I'm still just as strong as I was, but um, you know I don't need the excess fluff. So to speak. so <laughs> yeah. yeah, mass equals gas to a certain extent. Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. No, I think that's awesome. And I mean, I think you've kind of learned to just from knowing you really these past three or four years um i mean at times you we had to like try to protect you from yourself because you are such a hard worker but there gets to be a point of diminishing returns too where it's like okay you've got to this has to last for a nine month competitive season yeah um yeah that's a good point actually a story about that is in 2020 um so, you know, I went into spring training, I was throwing well, although it was short, I was, you know, up to 95 miles an hour that spring, which was, was good for me. And then, you know, got shut down, came back, uh, gyms were closed for a while, so I didn't go for like a month. But then once gyms reopened, started training again, and really focused on velocity, just like every week, basically, I would throw a bullpen as hard as I could. And in between... Um, I was throwing as hard as I could and ultimately it ended up being too frequently I was throwing high effort you know throws and basically my velocity started to, to decline and I started to get some you know tricep tendonitis from that and um, ultimately doing it that frequently hurt my development because then I had to take some time off of throwing to you know recover and uh, you know, yeah, through, through, yeah, too much. Yeah. No, I mean, I think, and I think it's a good, like, it's a good lesson. And I think every year you learn something, mm-hmm. right? Like every, and, and that's what, when we talk to kids and, and sometimes you don't know until you make a mistake. Like I, I always tell people, if you want different results, you actually have to change something, right? So, you know, if you're not getting better, you need to do something. And, and oftentimes the easiest thing is to do more. Mm-hmm. And for a lot of kids, if you're only lifting twice a week or three times a week, or you're only throwing four days a week. Like it probably, the answer probably isn't doing more, throwing harder, more often, lifting more, get like, but then 
again, you have to be cautious that if you are one of the kids that's already doing a lot, like maybe it's actually less, maybe it's pulling back a little bit or changing your routine or yeah. throwing different days of the week, more, more off days that, and I think that's what's been fascinating to just watch you is like every year you learn something and you tweak some little thing where you're like, okay, I'm not lifting quite as heavy this off season or I'm not, I've changed my throwing schedule or my bullpen days are these now. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a good point. It's like you, you only have so much to give in a single day. You want to make what you give count without going overboard. And then now you're diminishing your returns because your body just can't handle that much. So um yeah yeah no i think that's great um so you probably amongst the professional pitchers that we've worked with you probably have the reputation as one of the top one or two athletes if not the best overall athletes of uh of the pitchers we have some guys that definitely you know some pitchers you might wonder if they're athletes right? but you, you don't uh, fall into that category so you said you played basketball in high school too. Um, have you always been like a pretty good mover, played multiple sports, overall pretty talented athletically? or Yeah, so I would say I'm, I would kind of dif- differentiate between athletic and skilled. I would say I'm pretty skilled at most things. Like, you know, I can, I can shoot a basketball pretty well. I can play golf pretty well. I can obviously throw a baseball pretty well. I can do a lot of stuff pretty well but I'm not going to be the best athlete in terms of, I'm not going to sprint the fastest. I'm not going to put up the most weight in the weight room. I'm not going to be the quickest, you know, um, definitely not the most flexible. Yeah. So yeah, I'm skilled, but not that athletic. (laughs) Okay. It's a good, it's a good differentiator. We'll, uh, we won't name names, but you know, there's some, some, (laughs) some guys that I'm not even sure know how to shoot a basketball, but they are very good throwers of a baseball, which is really all that matters at the end of the day. Are there, do you think, I mean, are there sports that if you're talking to a high school kid, like, do you think basketball really helped you a lot, um, from a baseball standpoint? Are there other sports that you see like, Hey, if you're a high school kid and we recommend you play multiple sports, like, is there a sport that you think would really carry over particularly well or just be good? Um, I think, uh, yeah, basketball, I think did have, you know, a positive, positive influence on my baseball career. Um, do, does the conditioning and all the, you know, the time spent, does it necessarily directly translate to better baseball performance? Probably not, but something that does happen is you get some time off from throwing, um, you do something fun for yeah. one like that that's like actually really big really important especially for kids that are burnt out after you know a baseball season whether it was successful or not like yep. take some time away doesn't have to be a lot of time but um yeah and then i think if i had to pick one sport that uh would probably transfer the best results i think it would be track and field okay. i think the yep. i think the fast the requirement to be super fast and running a sprint, I yeah. think transfers to baseball for just about anybody. Yeah, no, that's, that's true. And even the field sports, like, I mean, learning how to throw a discus or right. a shot or something yeah. like, yeah, different mechanics, not yeah. as stressful as your arm, but the patterning is yeah almost identical. Yeah. It's hard to like repeat how fast a pitching delivery is. Yeah. But, like sprinting is one of those things that, it gets you moving pretty good it's maybe yeah. not quite as fast but it gets you moving it's probably the second fastest yeah. human movement right yeah. up there so 
that's what I haven't I haven't thought of that one. That's one I like. I mean, we tell people even, like soccer is you know it's a fall season. You get yeah. some conditioning. You still have the winter to start ramping up your throwing program. Yeah, I think soccer is a good one because yeah. I mean most soccer players have like you know over the course of your whole life playing soccer you develop pretty strong legs right. and like that's something I never had and I wish I did have. Yeah. Um, so that's a good one too. Yeah, and then other rotational sports like golf would be yeah. a great one. I wish I played golf for other reasons <laughs> yeah. than transferring to baseball just because I love it so much. But um, yeah, that's a good one. Learning how to rotate fast in, in other you know, yeah. disciplines, I yeah. guess. Yeah, no, absolutely. So let's talk golf because you, you can really play. I've uh, experienced it firsthand. You can really move it. Um, how much, I mean, do you see carryover between your pitching mechanics and your golf swing, or do you purposely try to keep them separated? Uh, I think there's a couple principles that carry over like pretty well, just the nature of rotation and putting force in the ground. Yeah. Um, so one of them being basically hip to shoulder separation. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, like the rotation of each segment going up the chain, and then two weight shift and putting force into the ground at the correct time yeah those two things if you do both of those two things well you're gonna probably you know swing fast right and i've noticed that when i'm swinging fast i'm usually throwing pretty fast too so those two things i do think correlate a little bit yeah no for sure it's been interesting we've had the opportunity in the last year to work with two world long drive guys Mm -hmm. and kind of support them and they they see a lot of carryover with pitching and there's actually like a movement of a lot of the long drive guys that kind of in their off seasons they're doing some throwing mm-hmm. um, and or swinging a baseball bat like and I think there is a lot of carryover. I'm always like let's just not hurt our shoulders and yeah. elbows by yeah. by throwing exactly. um, baseballs. But I do definitely think there's similarities just in terms of being able to control one section of your body doing one thing, the other the other way, and then timing up the release of those two things. Yeah, is, absolutely very similar yeah and then it it probably goes another level of it's good recovery slash conditioning especially if you just like go out and walk nine holes like great recovery you're gonna maybe be sore a little bit for the first couple times you do it but once your body gets adapted to actually walking that far it's elevated heart rate for an extended period of time feel great the next day yeah for sure no i uh and i mean i think most I mean, again, there gets to be a skill. You have to be able to, like, square a club face up. And, I mean, golf is a technical, mm-hmm. there's technique. But I would say most pitchers that we've seen can really golf. I mean, they Yeah. And a lot of guys that, like, play the Brewers in the summer, whoever starts on Friday will have tea times at Aaron or Whistling on right. Saturday, Sunday, and uh, they play all year round. Yeah, I think that's part of it, thanks to the nature of being a starting pitcher is, like, you you pitch and then you got four days to kind of do whatever you want want to do however you want to fill that time outside of your obvious like whatever you got to do to be a better pitcher but um yeah so you spend a lot of time playing golf and then also in the off season like when i don't want to even think about baseball golf it's i go play golf and work on that so yeah that's perfect so yeah all the uh it's motivation to stay as a starter not a reliever Mm -hmm. is is if you like golf then you've got a better schedule yeah exactly so all right let's finish with one question so kind of especially talking to like the high school kids because that's mostly what we look are the athletes that we work with there's definitely some of the college kids and and pros but 
day in, day out, it's, there's, I mean, high school baseball in Wisconsin is really exploding where we have more talented kids, I think, than, than ever. Um, if you could go back in time to high school and do one thing differently, um, what would that be or what piece of advice would you give them? Yeah, I think this one's actually a no-brainer for me. And what I would do differently is that during baseball season, I would not lift. I would not work out. I was I was there to play baseball, and then it was I played in the summer, so we had off of school. So it was back to the house, hang out with my friends, play video games, yeah. do whatever kids do. And um, I think if I could go back, I would take my training a lot more seriously in high school, and um, you know, especially I would do a lot less curls, bicep curls, and bench <laughs> press, and maybe uh, you know some more deadlifts and squats, especially because I'm lacking in the leg department. So um, that's I think I, I would spend a lot of you know the um, the falls and the springs in the weight room. But then it would all disappear during baseball season. I would be back to square one, and I would have to do it all over again the next year and hope that um, just puberty and growing in general would get me, you know, a little bit bigger, a little bit, you know, faster, whatever. But if if the accumulation of the weight room stuff would have continued through high school and through college, I think I would have been in a lot better position, you know, than, than I was. Yeah, I think that's good advice, and we see it. We see it so often, and um, if it, as long as it's programmed right, it's not going to fatigue you. It's not going to impair your performance. I mean, yeah, you could do dumb things that would affect your performance, but yeah, I mean, I, I promise you that in pro baseball, college baseball, I mean, pitchers are probably lifting same day of the game, if not the morning following. But there, no one's taking the whole nine month yeah. <laughs> MLB season off and not going into the weight room. Right. Um, so I, I think that's that's great advice. Well, thank you very much for your time and sharing some of your expertise. I think this is going to be really helpful for, for any athlete that's, and probably coaches too that are listening to this. And maybe they can learn something from, from your story and the hard work and the lessons that you've learned and be able to apply that to them. So if people want to follow you online, Where what team are you playing for this year? And then where could they find you on like Instagram or something if you do anything there? Yeah, so I'm playing for the Hanshin Tigers of the NPB. Um, and... My Instagram handle, I think, is bkel721, I believe. Um, and I think it's the same for Twitter. And, okay. Uh, yeah. Perfect. We'll make sure we get those in the show notes. And uh, thank you again for your time. And thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll see you guys on the next episode. Hey, wait a minute. Are you a baseball player that's getting ready for your season right now? Do you want to learn what it takes to keep your arm healthy and perform at a high level all season long? Let's face it. Injuries and arm injuries in particular are only expanding in baseball right now. If you get hurt, it is going to impact your development, your ability to compete and help your team, as well as just the fun of playing the sports you love with your teammates and friends. We have a free online mini course that goes through exactly what you need to do to prepare your arm and to keep your arm healthy all season long. You can find this course and sign up at the link in our bio on Instagram at kinetic underscore SMP or in the show notes to this podcast on any of your major podcast platforms. Hit that link, sign up to get access to the course today.